uh, we're continuing through the book of Matthew, but today I'm going to trip you up a little bit, all right? Um, Yeah, we're going to do something a little different this morning, is we are going to read from the book of Mark. And um, here's the cool thing about the Gospels of our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is that they parallel one another. And each author has a different, a different emphasis. Um, you'll notice as you read Matthew, as you read Mark, Luke, John, uh, how, how they'll say the same thing but in different ways. Or sometimes one of the authors will include something that the other author doesn't always include. And that's because one, that author is intentionally writing to a specific audience. And uh, Matthew's gospel is written specifically to the Jews. Matthew is trying to convince a Jewish reader that Jesus is the promised one, that he is the Messiah, that he is the one that's been prophesied, they're waiting for and saying, this will be our king, Uh, not the political king that the Jews were expecting. They were expecting a a king to ride into town on a horse. And uh, we see, you know, uh, in this portion, if we were to go back, we see Jesus riding in on a donkey. I don't know if you can be very dignified riding in on a donkey. It's like a hobbit horse, right? It's like, you ever see? And, it, and everyone's expecting Jesus to come in on this noble steed and, and kind of just wipe out the political armies. But Jesus doesn't do that. And so Matthew's, he's really writing to a Jewish audience. Well, Mark's got a little bit of different emphasis. And so I think there's things in Mark's gospel though it parallels our chapter today, that highlight and emphasis some things for us that I think are helpful as we're continuing this sermon series called The Cross and Crown. So if you'll give us a little bit of liberty today and say, hey, uh, that's okay, we're going to look at Mark's gospel, I think it'll, it'll benefit us. So, all right, you guys okay with that? All right. So um, just as, as a segue in here this morning, um, I want to tell a story about a time that our family went on vacations a couple years ago. And um, Marianne and I, we, we've, we didn't historically grow up take, or when we got married. We didn't always uh, vacation well, uh, whether it was because of finances or because we were busy or, you know, whatever it was. We would just kind of find ourselves, I think it was maybe eight or nine years into our marriage where we actually went on our first vacation. And, and you know, that's probably stereotypical of the Southern California mindset. People kind of just, you know, do that. But we really felt challenged in God uh, through those times. We were like, you know what? We feel like God's called us to vacation well. Um, Not just because we just want to like, you know, put an emphasis on us, but we need the rest. We need to relax. We need, you know, and so we started doing that. And I, and you know, we tried to make it a, a habit for our family. We wanted our kids to grow up and have these memories of going on vacation and sharing rooms together, fighting with each other maybe a little bit, like, huh? Well, you know how kids do. That's my chicken nugget. She got three and I only got two, that whole stuff. It always seems sweeter while you're on vacation for some reason. Um, and a couple years ago, we, we, we decided, her and I, we, we won, I say won in quotes, this Holiday Inn Express, uh, like, two-night getaway, right, thing. The only catch was you had to sit through an hour-long presentation on somebody trying to sell you a timeshare. Now, if you're into timeshares, God bless you. If you have a timeshare, if you're trying to get out of a timeshare, wherever you are this morning. So we thought, okay, we could do that, right? We're going to get away for two nights. We really need this, like, just a little getaway for ourselves. And at the end of it, we, you know, you go into this, like, sales thing, and you're like, Babe, 
you have this pep talk before. Okay, whatever they say, whatever that you just like give them the stink face, you know, it doesn't matter, right? And as a Christian, you're trying to be nice, but also tell them no at the same time. So at the end of this thing, we're just like, man, listen, I get it. You're doing your job, but we're just, we're not having it. We, we're basically here for the free two nights, you know? He's like, all right, well, let me get my uh, sales manager to come over and sign you off that you did it, right? Well, of course, the sales manager comes over, manager, and he's got to try to sell us something, right? And we're just like, we're not doing it. We're not doing it. Like, no, this is not going to happen. He comes over and he's like, listen, I get it trying to play like nice cop, I think, with us. Uh, I understand. Let me just try to throw one more thing at you. And we're like, okay. He's like, we have this uh, package deal, and it's, it's, it's our flagship uh, location so in Orlando. It's, it's normally this much, but we'll give it to you for this much. And it includes, you know, park tickets for Disneyland and all that kind of thing. So we're just thinking, oh, man. We're trying to like plan our vacation for next year. This is happening. So what do we do? Yes. <laughs> Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me, right? So we say yes to this guy because this just sounded like a deal that was too good to pass up. He's like, man, you're going to love this place. It's got, a, it's got a lazy like river through the middle of it and you could float and it's got all these restaurants and blah, blah, blah and all this stuff. And I'm like, man, our kids are going to love this. Well, guess what happened? We get to Florida, we get to this place and it is a nightmare. I mean, it is just, they're, they're, it's packed with people everywhere. Everything is a la carte. I mean, like, this guy f talked up this floating river. I mean, you have to pay to get in to the floating river, right? I mean, what, this is ridiculous. I mean, it's Disney, so they're gonna like charge for everything, right? But I mean, we, we got sucker punched. We, we got baited and switched, switched and baited, whatever's the way you say it. And this morning, we're gonna look at a story that's really similar to that in, the, in this gospel here. Um, it's, it has the appearance of everything that looks really good on the outside. But when you get up close, you know, it's like a pixelated picture on your computer screen. Uh, you, from afar, man, that looks really clear. But the closer you get, you start seeing all these little dots. And, and you're like, wait, it doesn't even look like a picture anymore. And, it, and it, we were so disappointed with this vacation. We're like, man, we need a do-over, right? And I think Jesus kind of feels the same way about Stuff like this. We're going to read it. So if you have your Bible, turn to Mark's gospel this morning, chapter 11. And we're going to read a chunky portion of scripture, so stick with me this morning. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verses 12 through 25. This is what Mark's gospel says. It says, On the following day, when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. This is speaking of Jesus. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. It's a funny story. I mean, what's going on? Is Jesus hangry? I mean, you know, it's like, verse 15 and they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer 
for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowds, all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening, uh, and when the evening they came, uh, sorry, and when evening came, they went out of the city. Verse twenty. And they passed by in the morning. They saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, stand praying, forgive, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also, who is in heaven, may forgive you your trespasses. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, thank you for your word, and thank you that you've graced us with the ability to be transformed by the power of your Holy Spirit. And this morning we, we ask for a transformation to come from the inside out, not from the, the outside in. Uh, we want to be disciples of you, Jesus, who are true in every part of who we are. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask that as your word is preached this morning, will you examine our hearts? Will you examine our thoughts? Will you examine even our emotions and the things that we hold dear, we, we, we want to just lay them at your feet. We, we, we hold them to you, God, and just say, do with us however you want. We surrender our hearts to you this morning through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So what is happening in this portion of scripture? What is going on? Because if you were to read this from, from kind of just at face value, you, it kind of feels like you have two separate stories here. First, you have Jesus coming up. It says he was hungry. He sees a fig tree. The fig tree leaves are green, and he's expecting there to be some kind of fruit on it. And then there's no fruit, and he gets upset, and he said, he said almost like, like a temper tantrum, no one will ever eat fruit from you again, right? And then he walks away. And, and then all of a sudden, the story transfers, and then he's walking into Jerusalem, he's looking at the temple, and he sees all this stuff happening, and he's upset, he turns over the tables. What is happening in this portion of scripture? Was, was Jesus hangry? You know, I get hangry, my, my kids bought me a shirt called hangry, it says hangry on it. What is hangry? Hangry is when you are hungry, and you're so hungry to the point it makes you angry. Hence the word hangry, and I even think that's in the dictionary now. Hangry. Was Jesus just like ruled by his emotions? Was he just like upset um, that the, the fig tree and you know couldn't eat and these guys were doing something he didn't like? I mean, what is happening in this portion of scripture? Here, here's what I think. I think Jesus was being very intentional about his interactions, not only with the fig tree, but also in his interactions with the people in the temple in the temple courts. I think he was, he knew his, he was leading his disciples and he wanted his disciples to see why he acted the way he acted. And the reason why he acted the way he acted 
was for a very specific reason. So let's ask the question this morning. Why was Jesus seemingly angry at what's going on here? Okay? You guys all right? You guys with me this morning? All right. So what we often like to think of is Jesus as like this really uh, sweet, meek, gentle, always probably never raises his voice, has the perfect radio voice, you know, and when his disciples, like he, he, he's always like, well, disciples, if you see here, if you take it like a, like a tour guide somehow, but that's not true of Jesus. This picture of Jesus totally throws that idea out the window. Could you imagine being with like your teacher at school one day and your teacher's like, come on class, let's go back to the room. And all of a sudden your teacher just loses it and starts throwing over the table. I mean, as, as, a, as a student, you'd be like, what is happening right now? So why is Jesus so upset? So here's what I think. I think Jesus hates the whole bait and switch. I think Jesus hates the idea of the church specifically looking green and fruitful and have outward appearances of everyone looking from afar and going, oh my gosh, look at those people. They must be the most well-together people there is. They, they must have it all together. If I go there, when I walk in those doors, everyone's just gonna be smiling, and it's not just fake smiles, it's all gonna be perfect smiles because what's inside their heart is that they just can't help showing it on the outside. I think Jesus hates a church that only looks good on the outside, but is rotten and dead and fruitless on the inside. And that was what was happening with the temple. You see, the fig tree was an illustration of what was taking place in the temple. So let me just give some context of what is supposed to take place in the temple courts. Um, most of us, when we think of the temple, we think of a room maybe about this big. And actually, the temple was huge. This was uh, Herod the Great. He had redone the temple. And the outer courts where all of these things were taking place, the money changing, was probably about 40 to 50 acres of land. Now, this outer courts area was supposed to be where the Gentiles were given an area to worship. Only the Jews were allowed to go past the outer courts, and they were, they were to worship in the inner courts. Past the inner courts was what we know as the Holy of Holies, where uh, a priest would go once a year, he would minister to God on behalf of the people, and only once a year, and it was, it was very specific. But this outward area was where the Gentiles were given a place to worship. And what the Jews had done is they had made this a place of money changing. What, what often would happen was would people would come and they would walk from long distances to make sacrifices to God. And so um, what they would do is they were trying to make it convenient, I think, for people. And I say convenient in quotes because they, they, they benefited from this. But what they would do is say, hey, don't worry about bringing your lamb. We'll provide a lamb for you. But this lamb, you know, we, we provide it at a premium, Right. And so don't worry about having to lug your animal all the way over to the temple and sacrifice. We have one for you, but it's going to cost you. And not only that, um, you cannot use your kind of money here. Your money here is no good because we're the church. We're, we're the temple. We're the chosen people. And God doesn't like your kind of money. So we're actually going to take your money, but we're going to charge you to exchange your money so that you can purchase this lamb. 
There was all kinds of things like this happening in these courts, and it was meant to be a place of worship. It was meant to be a place of worship, not only just for the Jews, but Jesus says in Mark's gospel here, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And what the Jews did is they turned it into a money-making scheme. And if you were to stand afar and look at the temple dealings, you would say, man, there's a lot of people who are part of that community. Look at all the hustle and bustle that's happening. Look at all the, the things that are taking place, all the conversations, all the things people are sacrificing to God. It looked green like the fig tree on the outside, but in the hearts of men, it was dead, fruitless, and rotten on the inside. And so Jesus intentionally cursing the fig tree, turning over the tables. I think Jesus hates that kind of stuff. I think Jesus hates the, this whole religious system where we try to make ourselves look better to the world instead of just being real with who we are. So I'm going to give us three points this morning of what I think helps us understand this, this dead on the inside but looking good on the outside kind of religious system that Jesus was, was so upset with. Number one, religious superiority. Religious superiority. You'll, you'll notice that the Jews didn't care about the Gentiles. They didn't care about anybody but themselves. And so therefore, this area, this whole outer courts area that was supposed to be set up for, what, what's a Gentile? A Gentile is anybody who's not a Jew. That's a lot of people. That's most of us here this morning. And so this whole area, even in the beginning mindset of, of worship, of, God, of people coming to God, God made a place for people who weren't Jewish. Isn't that beautiful? I, I just think that's such a beautiful thing. And so what these people have done is they've taken this was meant to be for all nations and they made it to benefit themselves. What was reserved for the Gentiles, and it just shows you that, the, that the, the hierarchy, the religious system at the time, said we actually are more superior. We, we don't actually care about you guys out there. And listen, reality is this mindset creeps into the church today. Well, that person doesn't know as much about God as I do. So I kind of think of them as less. Or I, I snub my nose down at them. This person has a different view of sexuality than I do, than what the scriptures say. How dare they? How, they should never be allowed in the church. I mean, friends, what do we do if somebody who has very different views than what we feel scripture says walk into our doors? How do we view them? How do we look at them? Do we kind of like go, mm-hmm, or do we welcome them and say, Southland's Chino is meant to be a place of prayer for all nations, for all people groups, so that all can hear the good news of God, 
so that all can experience the love of Christ. If you've experienced it, then this morning you know that you're not better because you've experienced the love of God. You've only experienced the love of God because of what? The grace of God. It was in spite of your sin, it was in spite of you not being deserving of God's grace that God in his mercy came down and revealed his truth to you and welcomed you into his family. And if we somehow do the same thing that the Jewish leaders were doing at the time, woe to us. We are a fig tree who's green but has no fruit. This isn't why we exist as a church. Number two, not only did they have a religious superiority complex, but they had a religious system. Now, some of you guys are like, wait a minute, what's wrong with religious systems, right? Like, this is the way you get to know God. This is the rules that have to be in place or else everything falls apart. But see, this religious system that was set up was not set up in a way for people to come to know God. It was set up in a way for man to rule. And the danger of this religious system is, man, our hearts like this stuff. Our hearts default toward this stuff. So um, we have little religious systems probably here at Southlands Chino that, we, that God probably wants to like rid out of us. I mean, maybe your religious system is we don't dress super fancy here. We dress pretty, I mean, I'm in denim. My grandma used to say, denim's for milking the cows. <laughs> oh, I love my grandma. But she used to be like, don't wear that to church. You know, she grew up in a different time and different culture. But maybe, maybe we're here today and we look at the way, maybe you're like, man, if, if we're going to be part of Southwest Chino, you got to wear Converse. You got to wear denim. You got to wear a button-down shirt on Sundays. That's just the way it goes. And if you're not like that, then you don't fit in. I don't know. Maybe you say certain things. Maybe there's a point in the song, you know, when the when the drums start building and everyone's like, yeah, and then you just raise your hand. Mm, that's so good. And you see other people doing. Oh, that's the way we're supposed to worship. I don't know. We have religious systems, but they're not from God. They're from man. And when we impose those religious systems on people, it alienates them. The only religious system that we have, that we should point to, is the system of the gospel of the grace of Jesus Christ. Here's what Jesus said about their religious system. He said, what you've turned and meant to be a house for all nations, you've turned it into a den of robbers, a den of thieves. Now, yes, they were financially benefiting from what they were causing people to, do, to, to go through their system. But I've found that times I want to impose my preferences on people because that's what I like. And some of us might be here like, well, I like a church like this. And I like a church that has loud music. I like a church that has quiet music. I like a church that has a preacher who's entertaining. Well, I like a church who has a preacher that does this. And I, it doesn't matter what you like. Uh-oh. <laughs> scripture is scripture. Church isn't about us. The temple wasn't meant to be about the Jews. It was meant to be draw people in so they experience God's presence. William Temple said this about the church. 
The church is the only institution that exists for its non-members. I remember hearing that the first time, not liking that phrase at all. The church is the only institution that exists for its non-members. You know what? If that cuts you in the heart the wrong way, if you don't like that, like I didn't like that, and I still sometimes don't like it, it's because I have religious systems that I want people to go through. We drew on a, a whiteboard at the beginning of this church with some leaders, and I said, guys, here's what God's called us to be. You ever see a funnel? What most churches do is they turn a funnel upside down and they put the small pointy end at the top and they expect everybody to fit into the funnel. If you meet these qualifications, if you've taken math 1A, if you've taken Christianity 1A, what all these kind of things, then you'll be able to fit within what Southland's Chino is and we'll say, welcome, you could be a member here. But... That's not what God's called us to be. I said, friends, what we have to do is we have to take that funnel and flip it the right way. The big area catches everybody. It catches a lot of people. People we may not want in our religious system. People that we would say, ooh, I'm not sure about that. But see, as you get closer to the bottom of the funnel, which is called discipleship, hey, let me, let me share with you why we worship the way we do. Let me share with you why it's okay to have a smile on your face because Jesus changes from the inside out. As all those things begin to take place, you'll notice that we come closer and closer to who Christ has called us to be. But the religious system turns it upside down and says, no, 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 no. You have to fit into our way of who we are, whether it's scripture or not. Can I encourage us as a church not to be that kind of a church? Can I encourage us to be the kind that flips the funnel upside down? When somebody says something weird about God, you're like, oh, okay. Hey, you should come to church with me because we'll tell you how that's weird, right? <laughs> I mean, even the songs we sing, I tell the worship band, hey guys, let's sing songs that are about Jesus, that teach us about Jesus. Why? Because as believers, it fixes our heart on the truth of who Christ is. And also, if you're, exp if you're exploring the Christian faith, you're gonna learn about what we believe about who Jesus is in the songs that we sing, right? Sunday morning is discipleship. All right, you guys doing okay? Number three, religious stubbornness. So we had religious uh, superiority, religious system, and then we have, look at how these are all S's. Religious stubbornness. This is what, in verse 18 happened to these guys who thought so good of themselves, thought they had it all figured out, had their system in place, they liked everything, this is making money for us, this is great. Who cares about everybody else is what it says in verse 18. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, that he was going through, turning over the tables, and were seeking a way to destroy him. Destroy For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. Let me say this. A refusal to be corrected is a sign that you have green leaves on the outside but no fruit on the inside. And if, 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 if sometimes if scripture might speak to you and you go, 
I don't like that. I want to do like what Thomas Jefferson, our, our president, did is I want to go through and edit certain parts of the Bible. I'm just going to literally clip them out with scissors. And this is the parts I will like. And this will be the Thomas Jefferson version. And we do that in our hearts. If, if maybe it's not even scripture, maybe a fellow brother or sister in Christ comes up to you and says, man, I love you and I'm saying this because I love you. Did you know X, Y, and Z, this isn't helpful for you as a believer? Did you know that when you give yourself over to this, that's not worthy of our worship as, as a Christian? Did you know that, that, that God wants more from you and you, you're like, I don't like that, I don't, like, don't listen to that? Maybe it's a sign that you're green on the outside but rotten on the inside. If you want to have fruit in your life, you must be willing to receive correction. Some, one of my best friends, Brian Barr, my, he loves me so much that he'll tell me, hey, can we have a self-awareness moment? Coddle me alongside, hey, bro, when you do this, that's not going to serve you or the people that you're leading. Stuff where I'm like, bro, I didn't ask you. <laughs> but a soft heart says, thank you so much for loving me enough to tell me that I have a blind spot. A blind spot is what? A blind spot. You don't know what you don't know. Scripture lets us know that we don't know something. Brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ, let us know that we don't know something. Let's have soft hearts. So we have this sandwich of the fig. It's like a fig Newton. I just, I just thought about that this morning. Some of you are too young to even know what a fig Newton is. Do they even still sell those? <sighs> and you, you pull it out of the sleeve. You like have some milk on them. They're good. Okay, if you don't know what a fig Newton is, you're missing out. But we got a fig Newton sandwich this morning. So we start off with this fig tree. We end with the fig tree. And... Here's how I know Jesus wasn't being off the moment reactionary to him cursing the tree, nor was he just hangry or just upset at what he saw, so he's just going to have a temper tantrum. He was intentionally, righteously angry, and that's a good thing. If you want to turn back to Mark, before we got into our story, it says this in verse 11. And speaking of Christ, says, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. See, Jesus was walking into Jerusalem, and from afar he observed what was taking place. He looked and he saw what was, and he didn't, out of passion for the moment, run in and just start turning over the tables. This was premeditated anger. <laughs> and for those of us who this morning would say, man, Jesus would just kind of turn a blind eye to the stuff that I fake about my Christianity. It's okay if I kind of live a life that looks good on the outside, but I don't really deal with the inside. We are woefully mistaken if we are telling ourselves those lies. Because Jesus hates the 
that kind of religiosity. What Jesus wants is to see a fig tree that's green and expect there to be fruit and there to be fruit. Not this fake facade, not this outward appearance of Christianity. I mean, there are people who have been in the church for years and years and years and years and someone will come up and receive Christ and everyone's astonished. Oh my gosh, I can't believe this person is, is responding to a call for salvation for Christ. It's because sometimes we can sit dormant in the seats. I serve on a Sunday. I give. I'm involved in a life group. I do all these things in the church. No one would know the difference except for God knows the difference in your heart. You may look green on the outside, but there's no fruit. This is what Jesus says about this kind of a person. Matthew chapter 23, he's saying this specifically about religious leaders, about people who should know better. Verses 27 through 28 says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. We had a friend who, who got married, and on the same day we did, her, I was, we were both in their, in their wedding uh, court, I don't know what you call it, like I was in the groomsmen, wedding party, thank you. And as what they decided to do for their wedding pictures is go into a cemetery and do wedding photos. And a lot of people were like, that's really weird, you know? Like, uh, you're just celebrating life, now you're gonna go somewhere that's death. And the bride's response was, it's actually very beautiful in that cemetery. And as we got there, I was like, she's absolutely right. This is a beautiful place to take pictures. But it's ironic, and it's the same thing as Jesus. We, what we do is we, we get these statues to look perfect on the outside. But it's full of just dead man's bones. It's full of just our own fleshly religiosity that we can muster up and somehow try to impress God with it. Jesus actually hates that stuff. Jesus wants to turn the tables over. Maybe that's true in your heart today. Maybe you're saying, yeah, I recognize that. Will you please allow Jesus to come and remove that out of your life today? Will you lower your pride? Will you say, God, I'm sorry. I repent for looking a certain way on the outside, but on the inside, I'm a mess. Will you say, God, will you change me from the inside out? Jesus also said, it's not what, what comes out of our mouth that defiles us. It's what flows from our heart that defiles us. The heart is what reveals who we are, right? Uh, I remember a story about a preacher telling a, a story about how a man got drunk at his family reunion. And when he got drunk, he was saying all these hor horrible things. And we're like, man, that's not like Uncle Ted to say things like that. And his mom said, son... Nothing comes out of a drunk man's lips that isn't already in his heart. 
And that's true for some of us. It's true for me at times. There's none of us here who are perfect on the inside. There's none of us here who look as good maybe on the outside that we do on the inside. That's, it's a process. I get it. I'm not trying to be heavy on us this morning, but what I am trying to say is there's freedom too. There's freedom to say, Lord Jesus, come and turn over the tables of my hearts. Lord Jesus, come and do with what you want. Lord Jesus, if my fig tree is green on the out but dead on the in, will you speak life? Don't curse me this morning. I don't want to wither up. I don't want to rely on my own religiosity. I don't want to rely on the things I do at church. I don't want to rely on the money that I give. I don't want to rely on the smile that I give on the outside and everybody thinks your life's all together. I want to rely on the truth of the inside that I've been changed from the inside out. I want to be different. I want to be real. I want to be authentic because of you, Jesus, changing me. Not my religious ways, my system, my stuff. Before we stand, can I just have you guys close your eyes this morning?